Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. John D'Amico. John D'Amico. And Jenna Ipcar. Hello. Yeah, John D'Amico's not here today. <laughs> yeah, screw you, John. Because he forgot uh, the day or he got the days mixed up. And the point is, he's in Jersey right now and we're in Brooklyn and he's nowhere to be seen. I'm looking at the chair. I'm it's looking at this chair, the stool next to the chair where he puts his uh, drink or, or phone or what have you, typically, and he usually sits in that chair. I'm looking over there. There's no John D'Amico. Just an empty chair. With like, a, there's sad music. Only if you walk towards that chair, it starts playing. It's true. And it's a different temperature. It's like cold it's by the colder. chair. It doesn't have the warmth of like a human body in that vicinity. And we can't do the topic that we wanted to do today because it was very uh, John D'Amico centric. He came up with it. He came up with it. It's his topic. We're going to record it with him. Hopefully we'll put it up as the episode next week. But... uh we just had to wing it here, me and Jenna. We came up with a topic by our own selves. Yeah, we're unprepared. Totally impromptu. We think it's a good topic, though. And uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it as well and you won't miss John D'Amico. I mean, it's fun when we do little one-on-ones, me and Jenna. Yeah, We've I done, like, I We like did one before. Yeah. Yeah. So our topic for today is how John... <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk some <laughs> could, shit about we John. We can talk some shit about John. He's not going to hear this. <laughs> no. Um, that guy's got such a goddamn beard. He thinks he's so such goddamn a beard. Cool. <laughs> such a goddamn beard that man has. I don't know if the beard comes through on the uh, on the recording. It probably doesn't, but it comes through in person. And it can make it very difficult to record the episodes. Because <laughs> you're just focusing on the beard. Because just the looking beard, right at it. The beard just takes up the whole room. Right. I didn't realize he had eyes until about five episodes in. He has eyes? I know. Jesus. Next time he's here, take a, take a look. All I see is like, and you know, now it makes sense when you say that because I would see little like, I would see like black plastic or whatever. Obviously now I know that's just his glasses on top <laughs> of the beard, but I didn't know what it was because all I just saw was beard. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. I thought it was like kind of a hairy ghost that only talked about John Ford movies. And it's not like his beard is like long. It's just dense. It's well, a dense well beard. It's well cropped. He keeps it well. Square jawline. Maybe he oils it. Maybe he... It smells okay. It's, it's not, manicured, yeah. Yeah, it's not like a homeless man beard. And it's not long like a homeless man beard. It's not like a Rip Van Winkle. It's stylish and it's dense. If you moved the hairs like to the side and like really peaked, you still wouldn't see like skin. It'd just be more hair. You'd just see more hairs. It's just blackness. <laughs> Dense blackness. It's like um, Teddy Pendergrass. That's oh, a good okay. comparison. Perfect. Perfect. A nice thick Pendergrass beard. That's what John D'Amico has. A nice, a nice thick Pendergrass. Yeah. Yeah. It's no hipster shit. No, no, no. This no is way. like you would not look at John and think hipster. It's about seventy-eight, eighty Teddy yeah. Pendergrass. Yeah. Pre-accident. Yeah. You can look it up on YouTube. This is an accurate reference. Look up Teddy Pendergrass. I think it's seventy-eight. I think there's another one that's 80. He's got like a white tank top, white pants. He's singing his ass off. Great live footage. That beard, that's a John D'Amico beard. Throw some glasses on there. 
change the hue on the skin tone. You got yourself some John D'Amico. Did this now just turn into a compliment? It's always with love. <laughs> it's only love. We only talk shit with love. That's right. All right. So a little while back, I forced Jenna to watch all the good Steven Seagal movies. There's more? <laughs> there's way more. Did you not know that there's no. like tons? No. Oh, darling, you saw <laughs> you saw the tip of the iceberg. Oh, man. But you only want to see the tip. You don't want to see the, the other, like anything below the surface that it's terrible. It's bad iceberg. He, he kept to like a movie a year, if not one or two, since where I told you to stop. I think, well, but you gave me like... I'm, 10 maybe DVDs. like eight or 10 or something there's more yeah there's the here's how it breaks down and jesus this was broken down brilliantly by this guy Vern, who is written for ain't it cool news and he wrote a book called Sigology, which chronicles <laughs> steven seagal's films and it's like it's similar to what you do with elvis where you you synopsis them properly and you give some thoughts and you you know point out things that are like carried over from previous films etc he basically wrote the Bible of Steven Seagal. And for those of you listening, if you have any interest in Seagal whatsoever or feel like you might, just flip through the book. Really good book. But yeah, there's the golden Seagal period, which is like right towards the beginning. Then there's the silver age. And then it's just the shit age, the brown age. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't force you to watch any of the brown age stuff. I kept you the golden and silver. Oh, wow. So... You know, you've been doing the Elvis ones. You wrote the pieces on the Elvis ones. You haven't been writing pieces on Seagal. This is more just for your own personal edification. Right. Because if you guys remember, this was a really a long time ago. This took me so season long to one. do. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I have not seen most action movies, most of like the classic action movies. I don't think I've seen any Van Damme. I haven't seen, I've seen like Terminator, but like I actually haven't seen RoboCop, which I know is also a, like a personal oh, failure. Oh, you'd, you'd like RoboCop. I probably would. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan about, of action movies, but I mean, it's, they don't, they aren't the worst, but it's just rare that I like love them. Yeah. There are a couple, I suppose. It's gotta be. I can't think of any. <laughs> but so I just, or I haven't seen Die Hard. I haven't seen like Mission Impossible. Right. Stuff like that. So then Cody was like, oh, well, you have to watch Steven Seagal. Yeah, he's of those guys. He's the one where it's like they kind of represent like a period in action films. And like just his vibe is very interesting. And I, I really am not a big Van Damme fan. I think his filmography is a little bit more like hit or miss. He doesn't have that golden period like Seagal does. Stallone, he was doing a bunch of different things. So it's hard to trace him like that. Norris had like a lot of really, really bad stuff. And then like, you know, one or two gems here and there. So you can't really do that with Seagal's really the only one where you can do what I did with Jenna, where you, you know, I gave her a stack of DVDs and was just like, watch these is all from this one period. And then that's it. You've, you've seen all of the good stuff. And uh, yeah, Seagal, I've always really, really dug. I just like his vibe. I like how idiosyncratic he is. I like the parts of himself that he injects into films where there's always an animal that gets saved that has nothing to do with the plot whatsoever. Like he just encounters some animal and like takes it away from some asshole that was like abusing it. Or like, I love the fact that he always turns people's weapons against them. Like if somebody comes at him with like a stick, he's that stick is going to hit that dude carrying the stick. Like I love the predictability of that. And I love the moves. I love it's a lot of, you know, throws and like 
tossing people away with their own energy, like with the force that they bring towards you. It's the Aikido thing because he was a Aikido black belt. And it's not strict Aikido. It's, you know, it's heightened for action moviness. But the principle stays the same, which is that when somebody comes at you, you use their force to then direct them in a different direction so that you aren't harmed. That's the basic principle of Aikido. It's the only purely defensive martial art. Everything else combines offense and defense, but Aikido is strictly just, you know, if somebody's coming at you, how can you redirect them? So I always appreciated that, even though it's not strict Aikido in the film. And for the record, John D'Amico was very much so against yeah, this Seagal is, as this a is the time to talk about this because, you know, John D'Amico, not a Seagal no fan. <laughs> Would you consider yourself a Seagal fan at this point, a, an enjoyer of Seagal? I can't say that I'm a fan. I can say that there are certain parts of some of these movies, which, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get right into right now because some of them are just so goddamn funny. We should talk about our favorite Seagal movie moments, I think. Yeah, I think that's about all we can talk I th- about. <laughs> I think our number one together is the puppy dog food scene. So out for justice, right? That's that one? Yeah. The, where he's like a Brooklyn cop. I think that might have been the best one. Yeah, that was my favorite for a really long time. Then I saw Fire Down Below and I just fell in love with that one. But they're neck and neck. I love Out for Justice. I love the vibe of it. And this gives nothing away. But the, the whole point of Out for Justice is that it's basically like this condoned kind of a, like a Western plot where it's this cop that's just he's going rogue and he just has to put down this really bad guy and everybody just sort of acknowledges that, you know, that guy's really shitty. Like everybody's just going to look the other way. We know you're the only one to deal with him. Just find him and just like put him out of his, this misery that he's putting the, the city in. That guy who looks like a fat Italian Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's William Forsythe who really good character actor turns up in a ton of different stuff. Always interesting to watch. And yes, he has a little bit of a Paul F. Tompkins vibe to him. But I also love that that movie was just set in 80s Brooklyn, which yeah. is just such a wonderful setting. Number one, you have the accents, which Seagal's was awful. Oh, so yeah. So bad. That's probably his worst accent. Oh, movie. God. It was terrible for someone who can speak so many languages, but maybe he sounds that bad in all languages. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. But that movie, they do mention the knife sharpening truck, mm-hmm. which is Great super point. Which Brooklyn. Is- yeah, that's our childhood. Absolutely. Which is, if you, for those who don't know, you know, like ice cream trucks that come around like, whatever you, you guys might not have Mr. Softy. We definitely have Mr. Softy. But there's also the, the knife sharpening truck, which is looks exactly the same. Which is red. And has a little bell. Yeah, it's just a bell, no song. And as a child, you're like, oh, bell, it's an ice cream truck. And you run out. <laughs> Just a guy, old old Italian dude. man, sharpening knives. That's not creepy. <laughs> Same truck around. as Ice Cream Man, but he sharpens knives. It sounds like like a trauma film. Like it doesn't sound <laughs> yeah. like real life. It sounds like something that Lloyd Kaufman would come up with as like an idea of like a dangerous Brooklyn thing where like there's a guy that just drives by and no, he doesn't give you ice cream. He just sharpens your knives for you so you can just go <laughs> then stab people. But, but uh, um, yeah, the puppy dog food. Puppy dog food is one of my favorite scenes in any action movie ever. I always like in action movies, the scenes that have nothing to do with anything that aren't like really specific to the plot and aren't specific to any action really happening. It's just kind of like people living their actual lives in this bizarre reality where the action movie is taking place because, it, you know, action movies, they don't really 
tend to make sense. You know, the really good cheesy ones, if you really sit down and think about it, like just the interactions, everything, it just doesn't, it's stupid. And I love when that's embodied by like a person going into a store and purchasing something. You know, like there's the the scene in uh, Cobra where Stallone goes into like the supermarket and there's a bunch of like Seagal scenes where like he goes into a supermarket to buy something and somebody's just sticking up the guy. I love the logic of like these things just happening every time you go into like a store <laughs> yeah. like that. So there's this great scene where he goes in to a store because he has to get some dog food because he finds a dog and of course he has to take care of the dog and uh, he's asking for puppy dog food. <laughs> Which is the most specific, not just puppy food. No, he he calls it puppy dog puppy food. Puppy dog food. And then the guy at the store, this kid, this little Italian kid, maybe like 16, he's like, yeah, puppy dog food. Hey, yeah, we you, got that. We got puppy dog food. <laughs> but I just love that like it's this universe where everybody just calls it puppy dog food. <laughs> and that's just what it's called. And then he does it. He says like, uh, Seagal's like, oh, I don't want none of that shit from Jersey. That's radioactive shit. Mm-hmm. No, I want good quality puppy dog food. And that's the best part is that seems like five minutes long. Oh, yeah. And like that <laughs> Italian kid seems like maybe he won like some kind of like raffle right. to be in a Steven Seagal movie. Like he's never heard or seen from again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we got puppy dog food. It's like a five minute. It's not even like, and they don't even give like a brand sponsorship. He's it's like, like uh, yeah, try Alpo. No. Asking how like the kid's mother is like that kind of thing. Like all this like information that just doesn't need <laughs> so to happen whatsoever. Says- you can't see that movie and not really hone in on that scene. I just, yeah. nobody, I can't imagine a single person. If you remember nothing from that no, movie, that's the you centerpiece that. of the entire film. <laughs> Another one, which is great, which is hard to kill. That's probably, that would probably be our number two, right? The, uh, the blood yeah. bank yes. line, which has a life of its own on YouTube. That's like a, that's got a lot of hits. The, uh, the blood bank line. Which is, for those who don't know, Steven Seagal sitting alone in a room, Mm -hmm. staring at a TV that is not on (laughs) and saying, I'm going to take you to the bank, the blood bank. And then he like leaves and like beats some guy up. Yeah. (laughs) He's he's talking about the senator who's like corrupt and like. I can't, I can't remember if he's watching the TV and then, yeah, it's that he sees the senator like say some line similar to what he heard him say, like, yeah. Or whatever. But then and he then, turns it off. Yeah. He turns off the TV <laughs> and then he says, because the guy on TV, he's a, the Senator says, you can take that to the bank. That's like his catchphrase, like as a Senator. And so Seagal, he takes like a minute. He has to think. He's yeah, like, he's thinking the wheels the, are turning. You watch the wheels turning <laughs> for like a good 30 seconds yes. and like a, you know, one of those like tracking shots that just moves slowly a little bit. <laughs> and then he, t- you know, he turns off the TV and he's like, I'm going to take you to the bank, Senator Trent, the blood bank. And then it goes, dun, 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 dun. You know, it does yeah, like then that. Then the action starts. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. And uh, hard to kill. He has a ridiculous beard at one point because at one point yeah. he's in like a coma and he, you know, he grows his like coma beard. And it, it's like a Team America, like <laughs> shitty, like makeup beard. It, it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. One that I don't think you got a chance to watch because I only have it on Blu-ray is Marked for Death, which yeah, I don't think so. you really need to see because it's a really oddball one. It's about these Jamaicans that are like selling drugs in the suburbs and like ruining the suburbs. Like these Jamaicans just kind of move to the suburbs and just take it over and they're like bringing drugs and crime. And there's like this Jamaican drug lord 
whose name is Screwface. And he has like green eyes and he's like a black guy. And he's like just this like mystical, strange character. And like he can be in all places at once. And like he's just like he's almost like a specter, like a god or something. Really strange film. Definitely one you need to see. Like a lost David Lynch movie. Yeah, it's it's especially like the setting. It's just so weird because it's like this very like idyllic suburban setting that just randomly got taken over by like Jamaican drug gangs and all that. It's just very, very, very strange. That's the only one I think you're missing from your uh, complete set of uh, Seagal watching. What was the one in Alaska called? On Deadly Ground. So that one had the moment where he goes like, for 350K, I'd fuck anything once. <laughs> Which I don't remember when he said that. Which wasn't in the script. Really? <laughs> that would be That'd amazing. be great if it was just an aside that they left in. <laughs> like he's the- talking to the assistant director. Or- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it just happened to like record it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then that final speech, which... I when I told I handed Cody yeah. the DVD back and I was like, well, I finally finished this. He goes, oh my god, did you watch the final speech? And I'll be, I'm going to be honest with you, I fell asleep. Yeah, <laughs> I was Which, up for the whole movie. Oh my god, he starts talking and I, I literally fell asleep. You missed the perfect moment of that <laughs> film, which is his final environmental speech, which is so like contradictory and dumb and like the PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, <laughs> like I always love like dated environmentalism like information in films because like this is a movie that's like 20 years old so the science isn't really up to date and he's like conflating like traffic signs with like environmental impact like he'll show like you know like seals being scrubbed and then he'll show like a light going from like red to yellow to green (laughs) like and it's all part of this thing (laughs) it was actually it was parodied on uh one episode of uh, South Park, I forget which one it is. They do like a, an almost like exact parody of that speech. And it's just, it's it's definitely worth watching because it's it's really like, you know, Seagal sticks in a little stuff here and there and like the rest of the films. But this is like the, the one where he's like, let's stop the film for a second, essentially. And like, he just gives like this like five minute speech to close out the film. He's basically like, you know, proselytizing. And it's just fascinating to watch. It's just so awkward and strange. Yeah. So that was an odyssey that I took. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not one you're going to write about like the Elvis stuff. But what, yeah, I don't know that I have anything to say about it. Overall, what did you take from it? When it was, this <laughs> is like I'm reaching, like when it was amusing, it was, it was sort of fun. Mm-hmm. But like they were, they were kind of hard to watch. Whereas like the Elvis movies, the majority of them are bad. And yet I've managed, and I don't know, maybe it's because I maybe care a little more about Elvis than I do about Steven Seagal, but like I've watched almost 31 of those within a couple of months. This took me like over a year to yeah. just watch like 10 movies. So it was a slog for you, I <laughs> it guess. Was, it was hard, but like it had, did have some redeeming moments, but more than anything, I just found it hard to like choose the time to watch that instead of something else because as we've Mm -hmm. talked about before all of us have like lists of movies that we want to see at any given time so it was like the choice of like i'm gonna know it i'm gonna do it i'm just gonna watch seagal it was usually enjoyable i have to say like i didn't i don't regret it (laughs) i think it's also you haven't been burned by other movies of that genre right whereas i like i feel like if you had seen like a couple Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and then you watch the Seagal stuff, it would be like a breath of fresh air because they are a little bit more coherent and a little bit more watchable than 
a lot of the stuff that they get lumped in. Like if you, I could give you like a Norris movie that if you watch, you, you wouldn't make it through like the first 10 minutes. Like it's just impossible to watch. Right. So I think in retrospect, if you ever were to go into those, you'd, you'd realize, holy shit, the Seagal ones, those are pretty good. But it's just all about what you're into, like as far as watching stuff. Like I, I really, to this day, really enjoy watching Seagal movies. They're just a lot of fun. I have to say, actually, it's, it was a good um, research for references. Mm-hmm. Now people make references to Steven Seagal and I know what they're talking about and yeah. I know what that, that means. <laughs> yeah, he has such a distinct, strange vibe. He's just a weird guy. And that comes through in like all the films. He's never not weird. Well, I think last podcast, I think John mentioned that like Steven Seagal could have easily fit in with Twin Peaks. Like, I love yeah. that. It's so true. <laughs> It, it definitely is true. Like he has a, a Lynchian quality, like just his idiosyncratic interest that he plugs into the films. Like he'll always talk about like acupuncture and like going to get like herbs and this, that and the other. And he's just he like wears this, weird shit, wears the strangest clothing. You know, he, he definitely would be like a one or two episode Twin Peaks character or something. Oh, yeah. Easily. Very strange. Gotta love him. All right. So our, our second topic is airplane movies and we're not talking about airplane the movie or airport or uh, the terminal con air or um flight plan i don't know the point is ford movie yeah air force Force point is we're not talking about these we're talking about movies you've seen on the airplane because there's something about watching a movie on an airplane it's a very unique experience Personally, it's always way more emotional for me when I'm watching movies. Like I'll watch something that's kind of shitty, but I'll feel it. You know, I'll be like really into it. I don't know if it's the same for you. What's it, what does it feel like watching the movie on an airplane for you? I sometimes go. I, I kind of feel like it's the worst place to watch a movie in a way because it, there's just so many distractions. You know, the pilot will interrupt your film and pause it or, you know, someone, you know, hits you on the shoulder. They need to go pee or like, you know, the waitress come or the stewardess, excuse me, comes by. Waitress. Same shit. They Or man, steward <laughs> comes by and like, you know, oh, what kind of drink do you want? And like, so you get interrupted continually. And then plus it's this tiny screen, which somehow feels smaller than like your cell phone. <laughs> right but it's bigger but it's definitely bigger or the person in front of you leans back so it's like a weird angle i recently went on a trip uh to la from new york so it was a fairly long flight and i actually had a pretty good experience watching some movies because uh, i don't know if it was as you said like i was just into it you know at the time but i've definitely had some bad movie viewings and some weird ones well what'd you watch on this flight so on the way to LA, I happened to be in this like old ass bullshit nineties plane <laughs> that didn't have any, um, you know, TVs in the back of the seats, which I thought for like a, you know, six hour flight, like what the fuck, yeah. you know? But, uh, you know, it was like, and I was thinking like, man, there's not even gonna, there's not even like a screen, you know, like I'm not going to get anything halfway through the flight, these tiny little televisions, like every four rows of seats come down oh man and then what starts playing is the first exotic marigold hotel (laughs) oh no which i figured all right screw it because like i was reading my book since then and i want to change a pace so i was watching it and uh actually wasn't bad shockingly yeah i have to say that because of the fact that there's just a high caliber of actors Hmm. everyone's a good actor in it it's all like you know and i mean all like classic british 
actor of our time, British actors. Right. And uh, they really did make it engaging. Um, I mean, it's very formulaic. It's, you know, what, what kind of what you expect, you know, like a bunch of old British people. One's the racist. One has a secret. Two, <laughs> the couple's going to divorce, you know, like. And then there's the, the kid who runs the hotel. And then he, of course, is like has a girlfriend, which isn't OK in his culture. You know, it's like this sort of like watered down Indian culture mixed with like old British people like, you know, where are the biscuits? Where's the tea? Like, you know, that kind of like lameness. But it actually was sort of emotional. Like when, when they really, uh, you know, and again, like everything that you expect to happen happens, but it was just so well acted that you, it was engaging. I actually was, you know, I'd give it three stars. Like it was, it was fun. Three out of five. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'd see the second one. (laughs) Yeah. I like the title of the second one. I thought that was really clever. Like it's just called the second best exotic Marigold hotel, which is like such a, you know, it works for the story clearly, but it also like, it's an acknowledgement that like, all right, it's a sequel. It's not going to be as good. (laughs) I I just like that. That's built into the title. I thought that was really clever. Yeah. I kind of wonder, I mean, part of the plot for that movie was, um, that, you know, like this hotel wasn't nearly as good as it was advertised. And, uh, by the end of it, they get their shit together. So I wonder if maybe this is about them opening another hotel or something. Mm. I have to say the other thing, actually, I kind of want to force you to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I'm almost tempted. The, the fact that the first one was like fun, I wouldn't go to a theater for it. But right. like, eh, like if I, I would watch it, I guess. Yeah. It might not be awful. But like uh, also just it was it's nice to see people on screen that aren't in their 20s. Yeah, that's a good point. It's it, a, you know, it's mostly like 50s, 60s. More. Yeah, like cast, mostly. Yeah. Uh, and, and older. Mm. And, and that's, you know, it's it was interesting because there's one like sort of unrequited love story that um, plays out. And, uh, you know, you don't really hear about that for people that are older. They're usually happily married or, you know, they're dying. Like there's nothing in between. So it was like having, you know, the divorcing couple who are divorcing like in their sixties or fifties. I don't know. Um, what's his face who, who moves like this, who moves like what moves like Jagger. Let me just Google it. You mean, uh, Adam Levine, (laughs) Adam Levine folks, breaking news, Adam Levine (laughs) Is in the uh, best exotic Marigold Hotel. Bill Nye. That was your impression of Bill Nye. He has this hand thing that he can't move. What, um, like two, like he only moves like parts of his hands are kind of in a perpetual claw. Really? Yeah. Now you're now you're gonna notice it. Yeah, Jenna was doing like she. It was almost like she was doing a Richard Nixon or something. (laughs) I couldn't tell what she was doing. Well, anyhow, Bill Nye he gets uh, divorced from uh, Penelope Wilton. It was, mm-hmm. I remember her from Doctor Who. And uh, that's interesting because it does happen. You know, people get divorced later in life and you don't hear about that, you know, like, and, and also with like their kid being like a pain in their ass and like, you know, people falling in love when they're older and stuff like that. I don't know. It was, it was formulaic, but more entertaining than I expected. So that was on the way there. <laughs> on the way back, I had a, a nicer plane where I could pick my movies. Ah. <laughs> So I watched Foxcatcher first because I really wanted to see it. And it was one of those movies I kept making plans to go see. And uh, I kept, they kept falling through. Yeah. I watched that about a month ago. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It's really good. Really loved it. Also like what amazing acting. Oh man. And what a fantastic pacing. Channing Tatum was phenomenal. He was so good. Yeah. And right from the first scene, just immediately good. 
Yeah, I was just thinking about like you know I also recently not on a plane saw Magic Mike. Uh, Look at you, <laughs> little Tatum Film Festival. I have to say he he never like he's never physically appealed to me, which is why I never like sought out Magic Mike. Yeah, but um he's a, he's the only good actor in that movie mm-hmm. uh, besides Matthew McConaughey, right. who's just ridiculous. But <laughs> you know for in Foxcatcher, I was just shocked. He was so good. Yeah, that's a really well acted movie. I uh, I had a feeling I was going to like it because I really like Bennett Miller. I think he has a really good track record. The Cruise, fantastic film. One of my favorite documentaries of all time. That was his first film right out the gate. Then he did Capote, another really good film. Then he did Moneyball, really good film. That was my favorite film of the year when that came out. Yeah, I didn't see that one. And then, I liked Capote. And then Foxcatcher. I just knew that I was going to like it. I, I kept hearing mixed things about it. But I just knew, nah, Bennett Miller has earned my trust. It's going to be a good movie. And I really did enjoy it. I know it's not accurate. Like I was looking into the actual story. I really would love for them to do like a documentary, like about the actual events and like, etc. Because it's a really fascinating story on its own. Like it's equally as fascinating as the story that they did for the film, but they're completely different stories. Like they took a lot of different liberties, but it's still a really, really enjoyable film. What didn't people like about Foxcatcher, actually? Because I, I I remember the reviews being sort of mixed almost. I mean, they were mostly positive, but... I think they said it was just so fucking slow, which... Oh, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it it's crescendos. syrupy. Yeah, it, it has a syrupy pace. You're you're in it, you know? It's not like you're you're waiting that long for people to speak. It, it doesn't feel like you're, like, checking your watch. You, you're in it. I, I actually, for a, a three-hour movie, I thought it was fantastically paced yeah i'd say that the weakest link was steve carell i thought probably I'm, yeah i'm a big hater of like big comedic personalities trying to segue into serious acting mm-hmm. because it just doesn't work it's like you're you're really good at doing comedy stick with it like <laughs> not that you should do the same type of comedy like right broaden your comedic horizons but i don't think comedians are um inherently good actors absolutely not no it's a different skill set some can jump back and forth like robin williams jim carrey jim carrey was awesome but yeah, but, yeah i mean it, like steve carell i have not liked any of his serious movies and and it's just because of him mm. like even like you know everyone loves little miss sunshine i wasn't crazy about it it was cute but yeah like, i wasn't crazy about it that, I lo- that was maybe his best but i've uh, gone on record as loving dan in real life i still think that's probably his best film but um he's not bad in Foxcatcher. it's just that he just feels he, that nose looks fake because yeah, he's he Im- looks fake. He's impeded by the prosthetics and impeded by like all the pressure on him to be so interesting. And like, it, it's just a, it is probably just really difficult. He comes off as a caricature. Yeah. He, he's more like his despicable me character than he is mm, like that's the a good DuPont. Point. <laughs> he has some deep cuts too, though. Like there's a the movie Evan Almighty, which everybody railed against and thought it was such shit. I didn't see it. I saw it in a drive-in. It was like one, it was like a double bill and like I got stuck watching it. It was it's not a movie I would have ever have just like seeked out, but like I it was there and I was watching it. Not a bad movie. It's not like any less funny than, you know, you're running a mill like comedy that you watch and you're like, oh, that's enjoyable. Like, like the jokes work in it and it has enough of like, it, it's like a really impossible task for a film about like Noah's Ark to be at all believable or resonate at all because it's such a real ridiculous story. But they shoehorned in really, really well an explanation of the Noah's Ark story that actually 
like you feel and you're it has an impact there's, if you go on youtube there's a scene with morgan freeman explaining to lauren graham's character why the noah's ark story is a great story and why it's good it's just so fucking well done like it's a it's the first case i've heard made for like noah's ark as like a really good story because it, it just it's such a shit story when you listen to like the bare components of it but i think that movie did a little bit better than most see it, but steve carell like i love him in the office you know in the office can have its serious moments and he was good in the office and he was good for those kind of serious moments but like for him doing just a straight drama i can't buy it mm-hmm. same with like will ferrell i don't like will ferrell and straight dramas yeah. Or like the quirky indie dramas. Like it just doesn't work for me. The dramedy where it's not funny. So they just call it a dramedy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But my, my experience on planes, I remember watching um, Hitch and I remember watching Coach Carter on a flight and <laughs> both of them, like I was damn near crying. Like it was just really? both like hit me emotionally for, Hitch? <laughs> for fucking Hitch. Yeah. <laughs> There's some beats to Hitch, you know, and I don't know. It's something about when you're on a plane, it's just an emotional experience and like you're really in it and you you can you can get really into that small screen in front of you, you know? It's all you got to watch. So you you get into it because you just want to get off the plane. So it's like, all right, if I'm really into this movie, then two hours will go by in like twenty minutes, and then that's two hours off the flight. But yeah, I I got really into Coach Carter. I tend to watch like all those like turning like underprivileged like gang kids into like kids that can like do awesome stuff movies like i just watch those i love uh like the weird like student exploitation films like i just gravitate towards i have to see every single one like i love uh from to sir with love <laughs> <laughs> i love dangerous minds the uh michelle pfeiffer one there's like beats in that that they're so strange like they're they're always just very weird movies that contain things that are just bizarre like the scene where she goes out to dinner with him and like he looks at one of like the kids in class and he looks at the menu and he can't make sense of any of it so he orders like a whole chicken and uh (laughs) i'm telling you these very strange scenes in all of these student exploitation films and then she to make him not feel bad orders a whole chicken as well oh god so they're in this fancy restaurant they're both just eating an entire chicken each why didn't you just split the chicken with him? I don't know, Jenna. <laughs> I don't know. But it's in the film. It's there. It's touching. It made me weep. <laughs> it didn't make me weep. It made me laugh. I, I just love those films. But anyway, Coach Carter is Samuel Jackson doing his student exploitation. And it fucking moved me. <laughs> it moved me on that plane. If I watched it right now, I'd be like, what the fuck is this? But on the plane, perfect... Uh, <laughs> Perfect vibe. Hitch. I, it was just, it was so sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very sensitive film. Kevin James and Will Smith and he's helping him. And isn't it sweet that people help people sometimes? And then waterworks. That's all. <laughs> That's all it takes on a plane. It can be as simple as just like a guy helping another guy. That's all. <laughs> but yeah, that's my heightened plane experience. See, it's, I had the opposite because like about maybe like a dozen years ago. I saw Hidalgo on a plane and then I threw up. <laughs> oh, it was that bad? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and then I remember the the uh, steward was really mean to me about it. About you puking? Yeah, he was like, he th- threw a towel at me. It was like, you clean it up. Did you yak in the seat? No, you know what? I actually did it on the tray. Ah. So it wasn't that bad. It was just like, 
you know, kind of all over the was place. Was it just instantaneous, the yakking? Yeah. It just, it was I was like, like a uh-oh. teenager. You know, I'd only been on so many planes. Uh, you just yacked. Was there <laughs> anybody next to you? Yeah, there was totally like another kid. It was actually, it was like a group of me and a group of kids. Right Coming on. back from Italy. Yeah. And then uh, let's see, what else did I see on a plane ever? Was, I saw- it, was it embarrassing or were you too drunk to feel self-conscious? It was super embarrassing, but I was also <laughs> too drunk. Wait a minute. No, this is uh, yellow journalism. It was <laughs> It was super embarrassing. I felt bad because that was the last time I've like thrown up on a plane. Mm. And then I started drinking since and then uh, just throw up, you know, in the normal places. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Joe. <laughs> uh, I saw um, hard candy on a plane. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm just picturing like an older like businessman sitting next to like you as a young <laughs> Yeah, lady. I was like probably a teenager at that time. And you just too. like looking at him like with squinted <laughs> eyes and then looking back at the film and then looking back at him. Yeah, that was how it went. As he just lowers the tray to cover his genitals. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? The other thing I watched on this flight back from LA was Finding Vivian Meyer, which is a documentary about um, a woman, basically a guy who bought um, a, a ton of just film negatives and then develop them. Oh, shit. I heard about this story. Yeah. And it was all this like wonderful street photography. Yeah. And then he goes to find out who the hell this woman was that took these photos and interviews her. She was a nanny. Not her. She's dead. But he interviews uh, people that knew her and who had her as a nanny and stuff like that. That was pretty compelling, too, actually. That's that, pretty cool. I'd check that out. I don't know if that was like a heightened film thing. I got kind of emotional in that, too. Yeah. It seems like an emotional story just in general. Like It's, it's a little sad. I mean, we're we're kind of, you know, you guys aren't seeing these photographs as you're listening, but fucking Google them. Like, they're, they're beautiful, really important work. And it was just this woman's hobby. Essentially, she she didn't become known in the photography world until these these pictures were discovered. She just basically filed them away and fantastic street and photography. Yeah, thousands of. Them. Yeah, tons, like an entire body of work. It's it's it'd be like discovering like Ouija's like entire Bible of like all oh, of yeah. his photographs. Like it's, it's that seismic an event. But yeah, I would recommend checking out that move, that documentary. It was really interesting. She's a weirdo. Definitely. You, you learn maybe a little too much about her, but Uh-oh. like most, like most uh, artists, you know, tortured soul. Right on. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with a voicemail. So see you soon. Hello, smug film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voicemail box? Just call the following phone number. 718395 and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening, and now, back to the show. And now... Chloe Peltier, reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. So every once in a while, I keep hearing people complain about how in Jurassic World, the lady runs uh, in high heels. And it's it seems kind of stupid that that's what they're complaining about. I mean, the scene has the compositing makes no sense. You can't really tell how far away the dinosaur is from her. And they kind of just put it together and then made it blue on top. And that's kind of how the movie feels. And there's a previous scene that makes it very clear that there's a lot of things about her character that are satirical about women who dress themselves up or whatever. So if anything, it seems like 
the whole portrayal of her is on the side of the people who are complaining. So I just don't get it. I feel almost like people are in denial that the movie looks so bad. So they're like trying to find something to talk about that offends them or whatever. Thanks, Chloe. And now back to the show. And we're back. Here's a voicemail from our voicemail box. Hello, Smug Film. My name is Nick. I'm from Kansas City. I'm a big fan of your show. And I have a quick question I'd like to ask the crew of Smug Film. What movies, since the first time you've seen them, has your opinion changed the most, for better or for worse? Like, for example, uh, ever since I saw Holy Motors, whenever I think about it, I get angrier. And whenever I think about John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, I like it more. So if you could have a uh, crack at that, uh, I'd like to hear it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nick. Um, first off, Holy Motors, I couldn't even get through the first 15 minutes. I hated that one immediately. Did you Did you ever see that one? No, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was a really bad film that you can't watch uh, more than... <laughs> no. It was a uh, French film. It was like a lot of vignettes. It was like this guy who was like this like leprechaun who like but not like a small leprechaun, like a tall leprechaun. And he has like gnarled fingers and he sort of like, he just goes through like adventures, like where like he'll meet somebody and then it'll be a vignette with that or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I've seen, I've, this has been on like actually the list of things because people talk about it all Piece the time. Piece of shit. It's terrible. Very bad. Okay. Not watchable. And so I totally agree with uh, our boy Nick. And Prince of Darkness, one of my favorite John Carpenter films. Really, really, really good. And I agree, that one just gets better the more you think about it, especially because it's just not one that's in the discussion of they live and the thing, you know, it just doesn't get brought up as much. So you feel like you really have to champion for it. And I think that's one of his most solid films, just purely as far as vibe. Not a lot of it makes sense, but it works. Like you you get into it that it doesn't make sense. Have you ever seen that one, Jenna? No. I'm zero for two here. Very, very strange film. I think you'd get into the vibe of it. It's all like very self-contained too, which is what I really like about it. It's even more self-contained than like the thing. Like it's really just takes place in like one location. Maybe they cut to like a second location, but it's just like the basement. It's one of those movies. I don't want to give anything away. Just watch it. If you want something creepy and strange and like self-contained and weird, that's your movie. And even if I did give it away, you'd be like, well, what the fuck was that? Like, that didn't make sense either. There's no way to describe it. Just watch it. It has like this great mythology to it, too, that like you can't really describe even after you watch it. So anyway, you might like it. But um, what are movies like that for you that uh, you've watched and your opinion has changed? Well, I wrote an article about this on Smug Film a while. I think it was like one of my first, maybe my first article, which was about movies that I hated when I watched them and then realized by the end of the film, they were actually great. And uh, so I won't really touch upon those, but I can think of a couple of movies that I like um, have either gotten worse uh, over time, like, uh, or made me angrier, I guess. Like, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? When I watched that, I wasn't crazy about it. And the more I think about it, the more I don't like it. I just think it's such a bitter, and I know that this is the point of the movie, goddammit, like, but it's just so bitter and angry. It's probably a good thing you're bringing this up when John D'Amico's not on the show. Does he love that I movie? Think he, I think he does love that one. It's, I mean, like, I can understand. It's it's interesting because it's another thing at, like, <laughs> like Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. 
Uh, it's a, a topic that you don't see often. Right. So it is, it's an interesting movie. I, I'm happy it was made. It's well acted, certainly. I mean, you're basically seeing, uh, you know, Elizabeth Taylor and, and Richard Burton probably in what their marriage was like. But um, I just, I don't, like, it just sort of, it's just so bitter and horrible. Like, I can't imagine ever watching it again. Mm. But then, I mean, more generally, um, the more I think about Fight Club, the more I hate it. Whereas when I first saw it, I liked it. Mm. And I wonder if, and, and same thing with like Pulp Fiction or Tarantino in general. Pulp Fiction, definitely. There are definite parts of that film that I really enjoy, but there's also such shit that like, like Tarantino, maybe his worst acting other than Django Unchained with his shitty accent, but he's so bad in that film and his eye lines are wrong. Like when <laughs> they shoot him. And it, it's just shit. Like that whole segment, like the uh, the cleaning up the dead body segment, terrible. Just should have been left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, I just, I think that a big part of it, because honestly, if I think if I watch Fight Club right now, I'd probably still probably uh, maybe enjoy it because it's not a bad movie, but I just, the, the hype of it. And the, like the, the weight that people have given it. Yeah. And same thing with Tarantino. And honestly, now it's starting to, to sort of curdle Bill Murray movies for me, which hmm. sucks because I really like Bill Murray and he's really funny. I don't know that he could ever be ruined for me. I'm just so tired of like this weird Bill Murray everywhere champion, championing. Like, I agree though. I hate the Bill Murray fascination thing where yeah. he's like, he's the ultimate like superstar for a lot of people. Like he's the Him coolest and, and of the bacon cool and cats. Like it's like the internet's yeah. like obsession. The internet has, has taken over and declared bacon cats and Bill Murray <laughs> yeah. as you know, the pinnacles of Western civilization. And it sucks because Bill Murray is so goddamn good. And I'm like, but it makes me really like look back on his film career and be like, ah, eh, whatever. Or that people, um, actually lost in translation. I liked it when I saw it. I like hate it now. Yeah, I agree with that too. I it saw it in the theaters. Me. I was totally on board. Every time I've seen it since, I've been like, mm, not a great film. I still like a lot of technical aspects of it. I think I've talked about it on the show before, but the sound design is really incredible in that film. Very underrated. When she's walking through the arcade, all of those sounds were completely generated and fake. They have nothing to do with the actual arcade sounds like it was completely blank slate and they layered it so well that you really feel like you're there but it was all just shit that they they put in and uh stuff like that where it's like so immersive and you would never think that about the sound design whatsoever but it was created from scratch it really impresses me so on a technical level i think that's a really impressive film but the actual film itself eh you know whatever yeah, I don't buy that. I don't really like Sofia Coppola anyhow, and and I just, me either. I don't buy any of it. What about you? What what movie choices? Well, recently, as in last night, <laughs> I watched Batman and Robin. Oh yeah, with the 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 much maligned Batman film, probably the most hated Batman film of all time. I liked it as a kid. I liked it. See, that's the thing. I liked it when I saw it in theaters. I remember. It was a big event because it was the big Batman movie. It was like, oh, you got to go see it first day. I remember my sister saw an earlier showing than I did. And she came home and she knew I was really excited about it. So like, I was like, how was it? How, how was it? Was it awesome? And she was like, yeah, just you, you know, go watch it. See, <laughs> see what you think. 
she she didn't want to break my heart and tell me it was a piece of shit. And I went and saw it and I really enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed that film. I had a really pure, enjoyable experience watching it as a child. And then you, you leave the theater and then you start realizing, wait a second, most people think this movie's bad. Like the critics all think it's bad. It's doing bad at the box office. People are saying the Batman franchise has been killed. It's all over. Really? Oh, wow. It has a 3.6 on IMDb. Yeah, it killed the franchise. It had to be revitalized with Batman Begins many years later. And it there were a lot of missteps along the way. They knew they had to do something entirely different and start from scratch. And it took a long time and went through a lot of different hands. Like even Joel Schumacher, like he was like, he was like begging the studios, like, I'll do like a serious one. Like I'll do like a you know, like something from scratch, like, well, we can save this. And like, it was just this big thing where it just, it destroyed that whole, that whole track that they were going on. And when you're that age, you're impressionable and you, you assume that people are older than you know better than you. So you're just kind of like, all right, well, I guess it is bad. And I didn't watch it again for like a number of years. Like Batman Forever, the one that came right before that Joel Schumacher did, that became the one that like, all right, it's not as good as the Tim Burton ones, but you know, it's 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 got stuff in it that's good. You know, Tim, was that the Catwoman one? No, that was the second one. That was Batman Returns. Batman Forever was with Jim Carrey as the Riddler oh. and uh, Tommy Lee Jones as uh, Two Face. And I like that one too. <laughs> yeah, that's the one where like people are like, all right, it's not as good as the Burtons, but it's not bad. Like it's got some parts. But Batman and Robin, everybody just fucking trashes. And the reason why I watched it last night is I just felt this rush, okay? Sometimes this happens. It's like a wormhole that you step into in time where you know that if you were to watch a very specific film, you would enjoy it 100% thoroughly. You would just love it. Like, you, I don't know what it is, but like, you ever get that vibe where like, man, if I were to watch this movie right fucking now, it'd be my favorite movie ever. And I, for some weird reason, I got that for Batman and Robin. Nice. Like I just stepped into that world. I was like, I got to watch this. I got to watch this. But I couldn't watch it immediately because I was doing other stuff. So I was like, oh, I I really hope that I remain in this vibe (laughs) until like three hours later when I can watch it. And luckily I did. And it was the best fucking movie ever. (laughs) It's so good. And the thing that pisses me off too is that like you go online and you look at like all the hate, like you look at like YouTube, all the people that like, like the YouTube critics, they all have some video where they're trashing Batman and Robin. Like that's just the, the, the go-to because it's like a crossover with like nerd culture and et cetera. It's going to get a lot of hits. Everybody hates it. You're not going to piss anybody off by hating on it. But all their complaints, it's all very like, it's like the tactical realism thing where like it's basically they're, they're poking holes in the film but they're not poking any holes that they couldn't also poke in Burton Batman films or Batman Forever or any of the fucking Nolan Batmans. They all suffer from the same like whole problems where like you can just poke away and it's all going to come crumbling down. Yeah, because it's fucking Batman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the guy dresses like a bat. <laughs> yeah, and but they're just selecting to poke holes in this one. But they can go right back to Batman Returns, which they love, and the original Batman, which they love, or any of the Nolans, and you can poke away, man, because there's a lot of holes in that one, too. But it's all, like, very specific, like, dumb shit, where it's like, 
there was this one guy on YouTube. I forget his name. I don't want to ever know his name, <laughs> but he was saying that like Mr. Freeze has like this suit that like is kept working by like diamonds. Like he puts diamonds in the suit and that's what keeps the suit working. And he has like a hole in his suit where like he just like shoves diamonds in and then like do, 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 do. And then it like works. And he was like, well, why would that ever be like a thing? Like I was his complaint. Like, well, that's dumb. It's like, all right, but. But like the concept <laughs> of Mr. Freeze is socially acceptable. Right. But also, wouldn't you want that to be in this silly film? Isn't that the place for silly things that like don't exist in life? It's not like he's watching exotic Marigold Hotel <laughs> and some some guy who's staying at the hotel has like some briefcase that he has to throw diamonds in in order for the briefcase to work. Like that, that would be a place where an it'd, expensive be, briefcase. it'd be stupid as shit. But in the context of Batman right. and in a very colorful, constant Dutch angle, silly film, why is that a bad thing for something to be silly? And like all yeah. the complaints are always like, oh, that's stupid. Like it looks like he's like on wires. He's jumping and he's, he jumps weird. It's like you wouldn't say that about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So stop saying it about Batman and Robin. That's another movie I enjoyed when I saw. It, now I hate it. I actually haven't seen it since I saw it. I wonder what I'd feel about it, but I liked it at the time. But you know what? I didn't realize that people hated that movie so much because now granted, I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters as a child. Mm -hmm. I like that movie a lot. I remember liking it. I like Poison Ivy. Yeah, she's great. I liked Arnold Schwarzenegger. Everybody's really good. Like they're all. And it, I kind of wish that there was more of that now. That's what we need. Yes. See, this is my whole thing. I think superhero movies were better when everybody just agreed as a given that superheroes are dumb <laughs> and superhero movies are dumb. And then they were like, all right, well, that's our foundation. And we're going to build on that. Like we all acknowledge that this is all really fucking dumb but we're going to do something on top of that. That's why Batman the TV show worked with Adam West because yeah, they, it was they all agreed it was fucking stupid. And then once everybody agreed that, then they could build something organic and awesome above it. See, I will say though, and I, I mean, I love comics in general. I can't say I'm a big, um, I'm not like a superhero comic person terribly, but I do understand like why someone who loves th th those comics would want a, a serious and well thought out movie the same way that those comics, the comics are fantastic. Sure. You know, but I, I agree that like, you know, I would much rather see something that it like, you know, recognizes its flaws and realizes that this is totally ridiculous, especially when you put a real life person yeah, in that once situation. Once it's a human being in a suit running around, it's fucking dumb as shit. And if you don't acknowledge that, if you act like, Oh, you know, this is like, a, if you like his whole thing, like Nolan, he's making like heat, you know, that was his whole thing with Dark Knight. I want to make heat with uh, superheroes. It's like, nah, it doesn't work. Didn't even yeah, work with heat. Not worth it. <laughs> like it was, it was kind of implausible in heat too. That's why I like the first Nolan much better than the other ones is because it's just, it was, it had these like touches of reality. They had yeah, actual way more playful, but it was exactly, it was, it was when cartoony it it went for it yeah you know like i love the a scarecrow it was amazing yeah Whereas, that's why that was the best one because it had a little both toes in like two different waters like it right it was a good balance but i think batman and robin there's something for just going all out as far as the camp yeah, aspect absolutely like it's it's so far in that direction and the colorfulness of it too like Joel Schumacher doesn't get enough credit for the color that he injected back into the Batman franchise. Yeah. 
Because you look at the 60s Batman, there's a lot of color and everybody has a distinct color. And he, he really inserted that into Batman Forever. And I think Batman and Robin's even better than Batman Forever. I think Batman Forever is okay. But Batman and Robin, I would watch it again tonight. I really would. It, <laughs> it's very enjoyable. Once you get into the vibe of it, and for me, it was immediately because I was just right in the mood for it. But if you stop looking for things to hate, if you stop looking for things to pick apart, and you give it the respect that you would give any other Batman movie and just say, all right, I'm watching this. I'm sitting down. I'm going to take it at face value. I'm going to not like think everything's a mistake. Like When people complain about Batman and Robin, it's like, all right, these are all the mistakes, things wrong with Batman and Robin. Like Bane in the comic books, he's like a really intelligent guy, but in this, he just grunts and he's like strong. And it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's so like, what? All right, w- w- what's wrong with that? This goes, this <laughs> ties back into, you know, when, when the fans take over the genre and exactly. screw it up. It's like the Harry Potter movies. The best Harry Potter movie is the third one. Yep. All of the other ones, especially the first two are shit. And the rest of them, I mean, look, I love the book series. I really like Harry Potter. The movies are enjoyable. I saw all of them in theater, like within the first week that they came out. But as far as movies go, the third one is the only good movie on because its it own. it works at a, as a film. They deviated. Exactly. And that's the one that all of the fans hate. They won't even, because that's the best book. And oh my God, how could they ruin it? I'm like, no, it's so good. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I wanted out of that movie. Yeah, Batman and Robin, that's what I want out of Batman. And and George Clooney, people complain that like, oh, he's useless or whatever. It's like, no, if you were to cast like an Adam West type for that specific period of like 1997 where that film came out. Yeah, George Clooney. Perfect choice. Great casting. Really inspired. Why isn't that like a midnight movie? I don't know. Because now that you mention it too, like if people can watch Sin City and think it's okay... Which it, I enjoyed, actually. Yeah. But, you know, that is just as campy and ridiculous. Well, people just, they turn their brains off to the, the intentionalness of the film. They, when they don't like something, they're like, all right, well, everything was a mistake. Everything was an accident. You know, they don't, they don't think about the fact that, like, this is like, I would say this is one of the most deliberate films I've ever seen in my entire life. It holds so consistently to one vibe and one vision for the entire film that you got to respect it. Even if you don't like it, It, you gotta, you gotta give it some credit. Maybe it's not your vibe, but you can't call it out. Like it was this fucking mistake, this huge mistake. It's like, it wasn't a mistake. It was just not the movie that you wanted to see. See, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm like, I got your back with this, except now watch me like go watch it again. Be like, Oh, it's fucking horrible. (laughs) It's like, Cody, what is (laughs) <laughs> What's going on? But I really did enjoy it as a child, definitely. I have I have pretty vivid memories of that movie. That's why that's why I feel like I can even say that it was pretty good. It's like I really remember scenes from that film and I remember it being so colorful. Yeah, it's colorful, it's enjoyable. It does weird things with color like right away you're seeing a very harsh red and a very harsh blue like at the same time in the same frame and then like it swoops and then you start seeing green and like yellow and it's like you're seeing these colors that don't really go together in the same shot, but like it works and it's like very swirling and enticing. And I fucking love that movie. Now I kind of want to watch it. Good film. Yeah. Great entertainment. Now I got to go watch Batman Forever. You know, I got to go do that because I haven't seen that one in ages. In forever. I got to give that yeah, in forever. <laughs> I got to give that one a shot, but fucking Batman and Robin rules. I literally, I would watch that again tonight. I would. 
I would enjoy it just as much. I'm tempted. You got to see it, Jenna. I want to hear back from you on Batman and Robin. Yeah, I want Nick to see it. Yeah, Nick. Thank you for calling in, Nick. But we got a little homework for you. Please just watch Batman and Robin. Tell me what you think. Call back and just be like, you can even call back and be like, yo, this is Nick. Fuck no and hang up. Yeah. <laughs> you can say, fuck you guys. That movie was shit. <laughs> Click. Whatever. Whatever you want. To, but I think you, you will enjoy it maybe. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know you personally. I think I got a good feeling about Nick. I like to, I want to imagine this guy's a good person. And I want to believe Well, that we know all, he's a good person because he's a fan. True. True. <laughs> good. Important. But- I, I like to believe that all good people would enjoy Batman and Robin. That's just my thought. That's what I want out of this world. I don't want much. I just want all good humans to come together and admit that it's not a bad movie, even if it's not your cup of tea. Good, Amen. Good film. I mean, just look at the poster. It's colorful. It's got people's faces. It's enjoyable. Good film. All right, we're going to close it out. Any final words for our audience? Guys, I'm, I'm winding down on my uh, Elvis Odyssey. Yeah. I have um, three movies left. So that means there's only two more articles left. Yeah. And uh, I hope you guys have been watching it. Well, uh, reading it. Reading it, whatever I'm doing. <laughs> They're <laughs> in my mind. You're writing, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, you know, talk about just bad, colorful movies. Like, uh, it's they're fun. And I think that my writing is, is also kind of fun. It's pretty yeah. quick. So check it out. See what you like. Comment, please. I would love to have more feedback on it. Yeah, Jenna Even if does it's the Elvis. Same thing. Yeah, watch me do Elvis, guys. Yeah. Christ. How many times do I got to do this guy? The last one was Jenna does Elvis number 14. Yeah. She's been doing Elvis a while now. She knows her Elvis. You were close. It's really interesting reading the synopses too, because like a lot of these movies are fucking batshit insane. And like you were saying in the previous, when we talked about Elvis one-on-one, was uh, a lot of these movies, they don't have accurate synopses online whatsoever. Yeah, they're so bland. It's like Elvis rides a horse and you're like, what about like... <laughs> yeah, all this zany fucking shit that happened. So you're doing the Lord's work by... Uh, making accurate synopses for a lot of these Elvis movies. I so. want you guys to know I also just dropped like $6 on used copies of a uh, two-part Elvis biography. All right. Like this, these things are, these movies are doing things to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and John D'Amico, any final words? John D'Amico? Nothing? Nothing. All right. Guess that's it. Thank you for listening. Quietest he's ever been. I know. <laughs> Usually he's got a lot to say. Usually we, I would ask him, you know, any final words and he'd go on about the bounty and mutiny on the bounty and this, that, and the other bounty. And, Only on ships. But uh, nothing today, John. Okay. All right, John. Thank you for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>